is the mission statement of the Church of the Nazarene, but not just the Church of the Nazarene. That's what we are really adopting here at Grace Point for this year, making Christ-like disciples in the nation. We have it plastered across the front here and in the hallway so that you can see that. We want that to be our passion and our drive, making Christ-like disciples in the nations. And last Sunday, Pastor Chuck was preaching about the need to reach out to people that need to know Jesus Christ. If we're going to make Christ-like disciples, we have to help bring people to Jesus Christ. And one way that we want to do that is by praying for people that need to come to know Jesus Christ. And so we are committing ourselves that every one of us that is here, that we would pray for one person between now and Easter, that that person would come to Jesus Christ. And so I would ask you that if you weren't here last week, if you open up your bulletin, you will discover inside your bulletin is a little yellow index card. I'd like you to get that out and hang on to that index card and be praying throughout this service. We want you to be praying about who it is, whose name could you write on that card, just one name, that God lays on your heart that you could be praying for between now and Easter every day. For that person to come to Jesus Christ. At the end of the service, we will invite you to come forward and to put those cards up here on the altar. Pastor Chuck already gathered the ones from last week, and he has committed that every week he's going to go into that prayer room right here at the church and pray over every single card, every single name. So we as a church want to join together with you in praying for those that need to come to Jesus Christ as he calls us to make Christ-like disciples. So be preparing for that, asking God what name to write on that. Well, we've been discussing this new mission statement, Christ-like disciples in the nations. But, you know, I always find it's interesting. I enjoy history. I like looking back at things and studying history. So this morning I want to take us backward just a little bit. And I want us to look at our old statement. This is the old seal of the Church of the Nazarene. We actually still use it quite a bit. But right there in the middle of it, it has this phrase, holiness unto the Lord. And that's kind of been our mission statement for a long time, holiness unto the Lord. Now, I have to tell you, as a young person, as a teenager like all of you, I used to wonder, what in the world does that really mean, that holiness unto the Lord? When we lived in Russia, we were trying to work on translating this seal and and what it would say. And the big question was, do you take the word unto and does it mean to or does it mean in? Because we didn't have a word unto in Russian. I actually looked up in the dictionary this week, what does unto really mean? Have you ever really thought about that? Unto actually comes up and says it's an archaic term meaning to in English. So now there you have it. Now we know. But I won't keep going into the grammar lesson. We'll move on. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you think about it, what did those things really mean? And, and, and what have they meant for us? And, and what has that phrase meant for us in the church? You see, there was a time period where you would go into a church and often they'd have it written above the doorway or on the wall. Or there used to be times when people who were involved in this original holiness movement over a 100 years ago, they'd go places and they'd have banners and they'd carry the banners. And it always said, holiness unto the Lord. I mean, this was the theme This is what they carried around with them. But why did they do this? They did it because these people wholeheartedly believed that they had been called to a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. Some of them had already been Christians for a long time. 
But they discovered that they were simply nominal Christians. They weren't walking the deeper walk with Jesus Christ until they discovered that they could go on further to a deeper walk. And they got so excited that they were excited to share this message, this message of holiness everywhere they went. There was a man lived about 100 years ago. His name was Phineas F. Brzee, lived out in California, and he began a ministry out there that was the original church named the Church of the Nazarene. But this is what he said. He said, I believe that we are called to a day where we have to Christianize Christianity. In other words, the Christians aren't really walking the Christian walk. And we've got to preach this message that they call the message of holiness to help take people to the deeper walk. You see, people were going to church on Sundays, but they weren't walking the walk throughout the week. About a hundred years before this man was another man by the name of John Wesley. He lived in England. He was an Anglican priest, and he noticed that he would go to church on Sunday. But people believing that their salvation was secure would go right back out that back door and live like the world all the rest of the week. He said, you know what? There's something wrong with that. That's not what the Christian walk is supposed to be like. Sadly, there was a young boy by the name of Karl Marx who was raised in the Lutheran church in Germany. This young man went to church all the time. He even went on to study in a seminary, but he became so discouraged by what he saw during the Industrial Revolution. You see, he'd go to church on Sunday, and the church was filled with all of the wealthy people of town. Back in that day, you paid a pew tax to be able to go to church, so you paid for your pew and where you got to sit. Well, only the wealthy people could afford to pay the pew tax. So they would come to church on Sundays and and they would sit there and these wealthy people, the factory owners, and then they'd go back out all week and they would use the children as slave labor and and, and the, the conditions were just horrible and it disturbed him so much that he left the faith, became an atheist. And while sitting in the Christie Library in Manchester, England, he would look out the window and see the pollution in the factories and what was happening there. And he wrote the Communist Manifesto, so angered by what he saw. Now, that's one way that we can react to what we see in this world. But on the other hand, there were the people that were following Jesus Christ. And there was John Wesley, who was also in England. And John Wesley, when he looked out and he saw what was happening in those factories, he said, oh, God, help us. We can't just come to church on Sundays. You've got to help us be world changers. And he prayed for a mighty infilling of God's Holy Spirit. And he looked at these children that were suffering there in the cities of of, of England. And he started something unique. He started the very first Sunday schools. If you ever wondered where they came from, started with John Wesley. And those kids didn't come to study Bible on Sundays, but they came to church to, le- to read and to write and to learn arithmetic. And he wanted to help change their world. You see, those people that carried those old banners that said, Holiness unto the Lord. They were powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word power is significant. They were so powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit that ordinary people believed that God was calling them to help change their world. And they did, and they became world changers. Did you know those little old banners that said, Holiness unto the Lord, showed up at the women's suffrage movement? You probably didn't know that, but that was a lot of the people that were involved. The original meeting of the women's suffrage movement took place in a Methodist church in Syracuse, New York. 1700s. 
Seneca Falls, sorry, New York. But, uh, and then another movement that got started was the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Those women that wanted to get rid of all the alcohol, let me tell you, they were running around carrying their holiness under the Lord banners. My grandma was one of them. <laughs> they believed that they could change their world. But you see, some of the world changers weren't just that long ago. But many of the world changers, some that you've even heard of today, have their roots in what was called the Holiness Movement or the Church of the Nazarene. A few people like this that you've heard of, maybe James Dobson. Have you ever heard of him? And focus on the family? James Dobson's father happened to teach at Mid-American Nazarene College where I went to school. We even had the Dobson building, the Dobson Hall right on campus where we studied music. James Dobson, I think we would say he's probably been a world changer in the way that he's affected the world. What about this? A young Nazarene man went off to the Korean War. He was overwhelmed by what he saw with all the children that were being left orphaned. And he said, God, we've got to do something about it. Formed an organization called Compassion International. And today, Compassion International sponsors hundreds of thousands of children all over the world who are needy. People who were called to be world changers. But you know, God uses simple, ordinary people. And in the town of Alexandria, Indiana, he used a simple little preacher lady at the Church of the Nazarene who went down the street and picked up the little Gaither kids who needed to go to Sunday school on Sunday and invited those little kids to come to church. And a little boy named Billy Gaither gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. World changers. People who were willing to believe that the deeper walk with Jesus Christ could help them to change the world. But I have to tell you something. Somewhere along the line, we began to interpret that phrase that was on the old banners, holiness unto the Lord. We began to define it in a different way. You see, whereas the people who were originally a part of the movement believed that they were to try and live the holy life for God in the world while helping to transform it, suddenly we adopted another way that we were going to look at the world. And we believed that we were somehow on our own power to adopt a lifestyle that we deemed holy. A lifestyle that made us view holiness as saying, come out and be separate from the world. And in the early days of the Church of the Nazarene in our manual, we didn't have a list of rules about how to live your life. We had a section called Special Advices. It was suggestions, recommendations. And somewhere in the middle of the last century, we changed it to the word rules. And once we put the rules in there, we decided holiness unto the Lord meant that we were going to live by a strict set of rules. This movement that had been based on the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit which had empowered those who were part of the movement to go out and change their world, began to put up fences. And we retreated to our churches, and we retreated to our homes, and we decided that to be holy meant that we were not going to allow anything from this world to contaminate us. Eventually, for some people, holiness unto the Lord simply became a lifestyle a set of rules. We believed we don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't go with girls that do. What happened to that transformational power of God's Holy Spirit? What happened to the alcoholics that used to fill the old church of the Nazarene in Los Angeles, California? 
that's how our work began. That's how the Salvation Army began. We were all part of that same movement. You know, so much of our ministry started in places of ministering to the poor, the needy, the down and out. But after a few generations, we have become nice and clean and respectable. No longer did we want to be touched by the world, a world that was so unholy. Brings us back to our new mission statement, Christ-like. You know, why isn't that word holiness there anymore? The truth is it is. To truly understand holiness is to understand Christ-likeness. And while Pastor Chuck encouraged us about praying for people that need to come to Christ and we need to do that, we have to step back a step this morning and we need to say, wait a minute. How am I going to bring somebody else to Jesus Christ if I'm not a Christ-like disciple myself? And we had better stop and look at ourselves and say, oh God, am I truly a Christ-like disciple? You see, to truly understand holiness, We have to understand that it means that we are changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is real holiness. That's what this new mission statement means. It means that we are still wholeheartedly believing in holiness, but we believe that it is transformational, that it changes us, and that our life will now resemble the life of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not a list to be followed but rather we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to him, for him to fill with his Holy Spirit. It's exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves or offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. To become Christ-like, you have to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Yes, we are to go and make Christ-like disciples in the nations, but are we ourselves Christ-like disciples? The scripture readings this morning that the singers, they were singing and they read some of the scriptures, they told us a story. It was this one. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. You see, there are people that are walking around here, and maybe in this room, we know Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been baptized in his name. But do you know the true and filling, entire and filling of God's Holy Spirit? Phineas Brzee talked about that, as I mentioned before, Christianizing Christianity. You see, many of us have become satisfied. We are satisfied with just sort of knowing Jesus Christ. We don't want to go on to that deeper walk that says, transform me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what the holiness message was all about. Let me ask you something. If somebody were to watch you every single day of your life, what would your life tell them? Do people see Jesus in you? What do you behave, how do you behave when you're at home with your family? 
Teenagers, would your parents say, wow, my teen is the most Christ-like teenager I've ever seen on this earth. I see Jesus in my teenager. Parents, would your kids say, wow, when I look at mom, I see Jesus. Is that what your teenager would say? Or do you have an adult child that might say, you know, when I look at my dad, I see Jesus in him. Husbands, can you look at your wife and say, my wife. When I look at my wife, I see Jesus in my wife. Or wives, can you look at your husbands and say, when I look at him, I see Jesus all over him. You know, are you doing things every day that Jesus would do? Are you watching things that Jesus would watch? Are you spending money the way Jesus would spend money? When you go to work, would your coworkers say that they see Christ in you? When the policeman pulls you over, would the policeman say they saw Christ in you? In our church in Texas a long time ago, we had this elderly gentleman. He was in his 80s, and our church was very small, and he had always been the music director. And so he wanted to continue directing the choir. He would tell you that he was saved and he was sanctified. He'd been to the altar twice, but he was about the most curmudgeonly man you'd ever met. He basically would show up at church 30 to 40 minutes late on Sunday mornings, but if you showed up one minute late for choir practice, he chewed your head off. That was just the way that he was. So one day, this gentleman is driving down the street, and he gets pulled over by the state trooper. Well, the state troopers are checking a bunch of cars' documents. The state trooper happens to go to church, too, and he knows this man. And he goes up, and the state trooper's going to be really friendly to him because he recognizes him. But guess what old brother so-and-so does? He gets all angry and chews out the policeman and, and gets all mad at him. And this young policeman couldn't wait to come back and tell us this story. He said, you know, I wanted to be nice to him. But you didn't see Jesus in this man's life every day and the way that he lived. Is there something that keeps you from wanting to be wholeheartedly sold out to Jesus Christ? Is there something that keeps you from being a world changer? What might it be? What is it that keeps you from following Jesus Christ? wholeheartedly is it maybe financial security the bible tells us for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs i'll never forget in our early part of our ministry there in russia there were two young men in moscow slava and choma both of them gave their hearts and lives to jesus christ and both of them had a call to preach and they wanted to become ministers but both of them had some pretty strong-willed mothers And their mothers got a hold of them, and their mothers said, you know, if you go on to become a preacher, you're going to be really poor. As a matter of fact, we'll probably all have to support you, and who knows how you're even going to make a living. And so we don't want you to go on and be a preacher. And for the sake of financial security, both of them turned their backs on their calls. Chioma, who's now been married a couple of times, Slava with his own difficulties, and all because of financial security, They couldn't sell out wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. What about relationships? Do you have a relationship with somebody that might be in the way of you wholeheartedly selling out your life to Jesus Christ? I'm going to talk here to a minute for the girls because sometimes girls, you're the worst at it. I hate to say that, or we are. That is, we want a boy in our lives so badly 
or a man in our lives so badly that we're willing to sell out or compromise on our relationship with Jesus Christ to have a guy. And there were lots of girls that were in college that were so anxious to have a guy in their lives that they would have done anything to get the guy and thrown their walk with Jesus Christ away. There was another young girl in our church in Moscow, Galena. Galena was one of the first believers that we had, and she was excited about serving Jesus Christ, but Galena desperately wanted to be married. She met this guy, Andre, and we began to talk to her. We said, Galena, Andre doesn't love Jesus. Oh, but I'll tell him all about Jesus, and he'll get to know Jesus. Have you heard that line before? Andre came to church twice, and she was convinced that he was going to follow Jesus, and so she married him. And I'd say in the last 10 years, Galena's probably been at church twice, basically losing her faith because a guy was more important than her walk with Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us this in John chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. You see, the love of Jesus is better than any relationship out there. Don't let it be an obstacle to being wholeheartedly sold out to Jesus Christ. Another reason sometimes we don't want to sell out to Jesus Christ is the fear of the unknown. Oh, my goodness, what might God ask me to do? How scary is that? Well, he might ask you to do some things that you might think are uncomfortable, but let me tell you, he'll always go with you. It's always interesting for me when I go back to Kansas City, and I often meet with some of my high school friends. I went to a very large high school, and I was involved in the band, and those are kind of my band buddies there. And and they will tell you that I was kind of a quiet and shy girl there in high school. And I hung out with a bunch of these friends that did not know Jesus Christ. They used to nickname me the saint. They thought it was funny that I didn't do all the things that they did. But when I would come back to Kansas City, even nowadays, they still want to get together with me and they still want to talk to me. And a bunch of them lived lives that they wanted to plan out. They wanted to plan what they were going to accomplish. And many of them have gone on to become quite wealthy. They've been extremely successful. But let me tell you, many of them have broken homes and broken families. They have kids that have wandered off in all kinds of directions. And I am just amazed that God would help a little shy girl. And I just have to tell you something. My life has been beyond my imagination. I never could have ever thought that we would be privileged to do the things that we would do, but it is only, only, only because of Jesus Christ. And I think they're surprised that God can take a Christian on a journey like that. Don't let the fear of the unknown stand in your way. The Apostle Paul says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Please, don't let any of those things stand in the way of you being totally filled with God's Holy Spirit. None of it is worth it. Absolutely none of it is worth hanging on to and losing what God might have for you. 
I love this quote from Oswald Chambers. You see, Oswald Chambers reminds us that God never asks you to give things up just for the sake of giving them up, but rather to give them up for the only thing that is worth having. If there is something in your life that you are hanging on to that you think is more important than wholeheartedly serving Jesus Christ, let me tell you, it is not worth it. But let me also tell you, God wants to transform you. He wants to take us. He wants to Christianize Christianity today, starting right here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And he wants to say, if there's anything keeping you from being totally sold out to Jesus Christ, if there's anything keeping you from being completely filled with Holy Spirit, it is not worth it. And I believe that God probably wants to take somebody in this room today, somebody we can't even imagine, and put a seed in you, and you will be a world changer because of God's Holy Spirit. God wants to use us in this world. He wants to transform us into his likeness. And then where did Jesus go? He wants to send us out in the world with the sinners. He wants us to rub shoulders with them so that they can see Christ today. (coughs) I want us to take a few minutes. I just want us to kind of think on these things and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Have you really, truly given God your all? Have you allowed him to entirely fill you with his Holy Spirit? Have you ever even given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? If you haven't, Right now, this morning, is a time you can do that. We're going to let the altars be open, and Pastor Chuck's going to lead us in a song in a minute. If you would like to come and pray at the altar for a few minutes this morning, we invite you to do that. I also invite you, if you've got your yellow card ready, would you come down? Can you lay it on the altar and just spend a few minutes praying for that person? Then leave your cards there, and we'll collect them up. But let's just take a few minutes in his holy presence this morning and allow him to speak to us.